Then they gathered round Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white in white stood beside them men of Galilee they said why do you stand here looking into the sky this same Jesus who has been taken for you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God good morning so I don't know uh, can you see on that picture, a little red dot. You see that little marker, that position marker? So here's our fun starter for 10 this morning. What's the connection between this picture and our passage this morning? Any offers? I'll give you a clue. It's an island. It's Ascension Island. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> so it was discovered on Ascension Day. It's so named after the day it was spotted by a passing Portuguese sailor in 1503. Uh, these days, and for the last 150 years or so, it's been under British control. And it has an RAF base, which ironically is almost entirely staffed by the US Air Force. It has a transient population of just under a 1,000. And here's a picture of Georgetown, just for your interest. It's about the only flat bit that is on the island, because the rest of it's a volcanic cone, uh, pretty much extinct now. So here's my bonus question. When is Ascension Day this year? Do you guys know? I I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's always a Thursday... It's Thursday the 30th, for what it's worth. Um, So let's just pray, shall we? Lord, we are, as ever, we're handling um, your word. Your word is precious. Lord, we just pray that you give us ears to hear, uh, myself, lucidity, to speak it accurately. Amen. Okay, well, there's one other connection between Ascension Island and this morning's passage, and, and that is both are actually pretty anonymous. Neither the island nor this passage are particularly well known, and there is, I think, a reason why. And it's simply because this passage is sandwiched uh, between the high drama of the resurrection at the end of Luke And Acts 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And we habitually sort of rush from one to the other, like sort of one sort of inconvenient link corridor between two exciting theatres to be got through as fast as possible. Uh, My task this morning is to try and give us a a higher view, if you like. So we're not going to be rushing through any corridors. We're going to try and view it from... 30,000 feet and take an aerial view, take in a big biblical panorama and see just how strategic this passage actually is. 
So let me introduce us to the concept that this seven-week gap between the resurrection and Pentecost is a pivot point. It's a hinge in redemption history between the old covenant and the, the new covenant that we live in. So that begs a whole lot of other questions. So what is, for example, a covenant? Because it's not a word that we use very much unless you happen to be a lawyer or a theologian. So a covenant is a solemn, legally binding agreement between two parties. Now, it's unlikely to be part of anyone's day-to-day vocabulary, but we do use alternative terms all the time. So how about a contract of employment? That's a covenant. It's a legally binding agreement between an employer and the employee. It involves a promise from the employer and terms and conditions. And if you fulfill the terms and conditions, the company will pay you X amount of money and give you Y day's holiday. Or we sometimes use the word treaty. So usually as an agreement between nations, it could be a peace treaty or it could be a trade treaty. Both of those are in the news at the moment because the US is tearing up effectively a a peace treaty with Iran and trying to make a trade treaty with China. So what exactly was the old covenant about? Because you can't really understand the new covenant without putting it into perspective, really, into context. And if I ask you what the Old Covenant is, at this point you're almost certainly thinking Ten Commandments. And you'd be right. The Ten Commandments is a ten-point contract between God and Abraham's descendants. And it's a kind of a precy. Uh, as a summary given to Moses at Mount Sinai, which includes later all the detailed laws that flesh out those 10 basic headline laws. And for 1,400 years, that covenant applied to the Jews as a nation, unbroken, unbroken in periods of time, but broken many times in actuality. And God's basic proposal in the Old Testament is Israel, if you live by my terms and conditions, I, God, will bless you and you will be my people. And you'll find that phrase throughout the, the Bible. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the relationship that God wants. You will note that because there are terms and conditions, it's conditional. If they break it, they won't cease to be his people, but they will cease to live in his blessing. Now, it's sometimes overlooked that this covenant was in full force during the whole of Jesus' life and ministry, right up to the cross. So the terms and conditions were still intact. Otherwise, Jesus couldn't have perfectly kept the law if the law wasn't in force, but it was. 
And thank goodness, of course, Jesus did live it out faultlessly. The only man or woman in history ever to have done so. And because Jesus fulfilled that covenant, kept all the terms, the punishment for him didn't fit the crime. So he paid what he didn't owe, and his credit paid our debit. Otherwise, there would be no chance of reconciliation. So it it might not be that everyone here has grasped the gulf between God's standards and ours. The chasm, it's just too big for us to jump through self-effort or self-improvement. It doesn't work. And even if you did manage that, you'd have to do it every day for a lifetime. So this is what happens when we try. So, we've all had a go. We've all tried. And unfortunately for us, it's not even a near miss like that. If you can stick the next slide up. Um, There should be a cross in there. That. Yeah, so, as you can see, there's a gulf between us and God and the cross through Jesus is the bridge uh, between the two and thank goodness for that so why is there a new covenant well because we couldn't fulfill the old one but actually it doesn't come as a surprise it wouldn't have come as a surprise entirely to the people of the new testament era because if you know your old testament scripture you find that it actually is a very old promise. And in Jeremiah 31, God flags up to Jeremiah 650 years before it actually happens. He flags up that a new covenant is on the way. So he says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel It won't be like the old covenant I made with their ancestors. And this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. And here's the important section. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. There it is again. So fast forward with me to Acts chapter 1. Jesus announces that the Holy Spirit is coming. And it's the Holy Spirit's presence in the heart of individual believers that defines the new covenant. If you were here last week, you'd have heard Pads unpack the fact that the Holy Spirit was around in the Old Testament. But this is different because it applies to individual believers, every individual believer, not some. So we're going to show you a, a little kind of table between the, which illustrates the differences between the old and the new covenant. Okay, hope you can read that. So under the old covenant, the, the law of Moses compelled you 
You must. But in a new covenant, you're impelled by the law of the Spirit. It's inside you and you want to. So it's the difference between must and want to. In the Old Testament, it was outside. It was written on stone. But in the New Testament, it's on the inside and it's written on hearts and minds. In the Old Testament, it was behavior-based. You do this, you don't do that. So you don't commit adultery, but in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, you don't even lust its heart attitude. In the Old Testament, you don't murder, but in the New Testament, you don't hate its heart attitude. In the Old Testament, you don't commit idolatry, in the new covenant, you don't be greedy. Now, I don't know why that strikes you, but actually it's quite easy to not do some of these things. Like, I don't feel that I want to murder. But actually, at times, do I get angry with people, even to the point of hatred? Well, not these days, hopefully. But it's a whole level higher. So the new covenant isn't a pass it's not a pass and the other difference the last one up there is that in the Old Testament it was given to Israel primarily it was a question of Jewish heredity but in the new covenant it's every tribe every tongue every nation It's the whole of humanity. And if you read Isaiah 49, actually, we're not going to do that because of time. But but you'll see that it's always been God's intention to open it out to the whole world for relationship to be with, with everyone. So are there terms and conditions in this new covenant as well as the old one? It's an important question, isn't it? Well, yes, there is. There is only one. And it's two bent knees and a surrendered heart. Have you fulfilled that condition yet? Because somehow we human beings seem to find that too expensive. Jesus paid his life on the cross, but it's too expensive for us to bow our hearts and get on our knees. You'll also notice, of course, that because the standards of the New Testament, New Covenant, are that much higher, how on earth are we ever going to do that? How on earth are we ever going to live like that? Well, the answer, of course, is only through the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is the mechanism by which God transfers everything from the outside to the inside. So at this point, we're just going to leave our, our 30,000 foot overview and we're coming, going to come into land on our passage. So if you look, pass- look closely at this passage, there are two very odd questions, one puzzling answer and a momentous event whose significance is underappreciated. Now, if you have a red-letter Bible, you may be familiar with the idea that some Bibles have Jesus' words in, in red letters. If you do have one of those, then you will notice that this is the last red 
before Revelation, where Jesus talks to the churches again. So this is Jesus' final teaching. And because it's his final teaching, you would expect it to be significant. And it is. But the setting seems so ordinary because Jesus is eating a meal with the disciples like many times before. And actually, we find that if we live a Christian life, we find that nine times out of ten, when God speaks, we don't get warning. And we're often not really fully ready for it. And our circumstances may seem very mundane. And if they'd thought about it at the time, maybe they would have worked out that, hey, it's 40 days since the resurrection, since Easter Sunday, and 40-day or 40-year periods are always significant in the Bible. But um, it's too ordinary, really, to be thinking about that. But what is it that Jesus says? Firstly, he says, stay in Jerusalem, stay put, until the Holy Spirit falls on you. That's in verse 5. It's actually just before the passage opened today. But then in verse 6, they asked Jesus this wild, apparently, completely left-field question. Okay, Jesus, is this the moment then when you're going to kick the Romans out and make Israel a sovereign, independent state again? Now, for us... That's a pretty much a does not compute moment because it seems such a huge leap of logic. Actually, it, it isn't because, again, the disciples knew their Old Testament as most Jewish men of the day would have. And they know Zechariah probably inside and out. And at the tail end of Zechariah, in Zechariah 12, there's a prophecy that at the end of the age, aggressor nations were going to be overthrown. And that's where they thought they were. Jesus must be saying, we're right at the end of the age. So they're expecting the overthrow of the Roman occupiers. In fact, the passage in Zechariah goes on to prophesy that the repentance of Jerusalem, and they shall look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for a firstborn son. Well, who's that? Well, that's Jesus. They've only just pierced, crucified God's firstborn, his one and only son. And quite reasonably, the disciples are making a link and thinking that liberation from occupation must be around the corner. So then we get to our puzzling answer. But perhaps it's less of a surprise understanding that than when Jesus doesn't say, oh, for pity's sake, what have I just spent three years telling you? The kingdom of God is within you. And it's true, of course. Although a better translation might be the kingdom of God is among you, but we won't go there for now. But Jesus states that before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And first and foremost, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of the heart. It's internal, primarily. But actually, it's not what Jesus says. It's to paraphrase what he does say is, 
you've got your timing wrong. Not you've got your theology wrong. You've got your timing wrong and only the Father knows. But first, you've got a job to do. You're going to be my witnesses. Where? Everywhere. So not just Israel. And for that, you're going to need help. And so it's another 10 days when the Holy Spirit comes. And in this passage, after Jesus has just said that, then comes the ascension. While they're watching, they suddenly become aware that they've got company. So there are a pair of angels. And the second angels, second question comes not from the disciples, but from the angels who ask, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here gawping? Uh, perhaps it's just as well that the disciples don't get to answer. And it's just an angelic intro into a very important statement that Jesus would one day return to the very same spot, fulfilling another Zechariah prophecy. So let's just have a look at that slide. Um, lighting conditions are brilliant, but that is a view of the Mount of Olives facing outwards from Jerusalem. Because if you can picture um, the Jerusalem as being a walled city at the time, the Mount of Olives was just outside. There's a little valley, and then you went up again to a smaller hill outside. Jerusalem itself is built on a very large hill. And if you go the other way for the next slide, this is what it looks like from the Mount of Olives. And you can see there the dome on the the Al-Aqsa Mosque. But you can see that they're facing downwards. It's about 100 metres higher. So here's my closing question. Does the ascension of Jesus have any special significance? Are we missing something if we routinely overlook it? Well, I think, yes, it does, and yes, we are. Firstly, the ascension carries the promise of Jesus' return to the very same spot, that Mount of Olives. It will be unexpected by the world like a thief in the night, and whereas the ascension happened with very few witnesses, when he comes back, it will be witnessed by everyone. And the good news in Jesus coming back is that God has not and will not abandon the earth. He is coming back maybe sooner than we think. Secondly, there is now a man in heaven. The significance of that can hardly be overstated. There never was before, but now... There is a glorified man with a new body who has blazed a trail into heaven for us to follow. So whereas the the resurrection illustrated freedom from death, this takes it one step further that we now have a way open into heaven. If you look at Stephen's martyrdom, what did he see just before he died? I see heaven open and the Son of Man at the right hand of the Father. If we are in Christ, 
that is open to us. And that, I venture, is very good news. Amen.